Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. great talking with Chris Brandt about her winding path to teaching, her art making, and TAB. I've mentioned before how I started attempting to shift to teaching for artistic behavior, that's TAB, this year, so it was super helpful to hear about how Chris structures her curricula and sets up her classroom. Chris was so generous with her time in recording a second time to talk about racism very honestly and with vulnerability. I really appreciate her openness and desire to continue improving how she works towards eliminating racism from her classroom and teaching. I also loved hearing about her artwork and how she shifts back and forth between two-dimensional and three-dimensional media. Impressive. Thank you, Chris. Christina, or Chris, Brandt is a teaching artist at the Hockaday School in Dallas, Texas. She graduated with a BFA in drawing and painting from The Ohio State University and recently completed her master's degree in art education from Texas Tech University. Chris still paints but has expanded her work into clay and metals as well. Her recent sculptures are based on Aesop's fables, depicting the animals as they learn human moral lessons. Chris teaches pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, primer, and fourth grade art, as well as eighth grade ceramics and sculpture. The Hockaday School is a pre-K through 12th grade girls' school that values the fine arts. Chris uses the Teaching for Artistic Behavior method in her early childhood art classroom. The girls learn new art skills and methods while enjoying the freedom to create what they desire with the mediums they choose. Living in a suburb of Dallas, Chris is married and has three grown children and three rambunctious long-haired dachshunds. This episode got very long, so let's get into it. I am here with Chris Brandt, and I'm excited to hear more. I like to start just hearing a little bit about your background. Could you kind of walk us through how you became an artist and a teacher, and did one come first? Okay. Well, I grew up moving a lot. My father was in business, and we would move every two or three years. And the only thing that I ever had constant was drawing. Mm. I always drew. I drew on everything. I had sketchbooks. I drew horses everywhere. Just drew, drew, drew. And art became my, oh, kind of my safe place at school. I always knew going in that I had that covered and it was where I felt the most comfortable. Mm -hmm. And when it came time to go to college, my father wanted me to major like in math or business. And I said, no, I'm going to major in art. And he was like, oh, come on, minor in math. (laughs) Nope. A little bit stubborn. So I went to Ohio State University and I got my BFA and I thought I was going to change the art world. That hasn't happened. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) So when I got out of school, well, right near the end of school, I figured I needed a job. And this was back in the 80s. So Mm -hmm. I ended up working as an accountant of all funny things, which I would Uh, never want to do now. Maybe made your dad happy. (laughs) Yeah. 
because I worked for some good companies. Oh, yeah, you know. But it's kind of one of those things you just need. You know, if you went to college, you could figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I did that, got married. We moved around a couple of times and then moved back to Dallas. My family lived in a town north of Dallas for about eight years when I was in college and afterwards. So it was Mm -hmm. kind of a home for us. Like we had to get new carpeting. My mom didn't know how to do that. Like you have to put new carpeting in a house. Do they come to your house? Do you go somewhere? You know, how do you do this? We never had to do it. We're always removing. Yeah. So I ended up having kids, stayed home for about 12 years. And I started doing art again. And then I started teaching little kids in my kitchen. Oh. during the day. And yeah. the little kids would go, is this your kitchen? Do you cook in here? And I'm like, no, we make art in here. <laughs> <laughs> this is the art room. And so I don't know, make a long story short. I started subbing at the schools around here in my little town of Capel and did mostly for the art teachers after a while. And like, if they knew they were going to be out for a couple of days, they'd call me ahead of time and stuff. And I was really getting into it. Yeah. But you know, I was only there for two or three days and then I'd leave. And you know, I didn't have to do anything but read what they wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. And then my school, my kids' school, they had an art teacher that had to go between two schools. So she got burned out. And I had worked in the meantime with the school district to get our own art teacher for the school. Uh-huh. And so at the beginning of the year, they didn't have an art teacher and she didn't find anyone she liked. So they finally let me on the last day before school started, uh-huh. long-term sub. So I had never had to do anything, you know, totally from scratch. Right. Like your own lessons. Oh, yeah. I had not a clue. So like other art teachers are throwing stuff at me and everything. And one of the first things I did, I mean, I got tired of it, I think, before the kids did. that We were doing yarn painting, which I would never do again, especially with fourth graders. It was horrible. It was so hard. Uh, But I didn't know what to do. And so I, and thank goodness, the principal used to be an art teacher. And I could go to her and say, what do I do? You know, they're not done, you know, and she gave me ideas and stuff. Well, after that, I got recommended for a charter school that was opening up. And so I became the lower school. At the time, it was first through fifth grade, and then they added kinder. So I was doing six grades, four classes of kids. Mm -hmm. And I just had a blast. I mean, to me, it was just fun doing different things. I had a kiln so we could fire stuff. I really just loved it. I did it for eight years. And then a job at the Hockaday School, which is an all-girls school here in Dallas. It's a private boarding and Mm -hmm. day school. And so I interviewed there and got that job. So that's where I'm teaching now. And I just finished, not this past December, but that would have been 2018. I graduated with my master's of art education from Texas Tech University, which has a very strong studio component. So that's nice. Yeah. And that's what I really wanted. I would have loved to have gotten my MFA, but I don't have the time, you know, Mm -hmm. to put in 40 hours a week on it. I can't do that. Yeah. Were you still teaching full time while getting your master's? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Four years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't in a big hurry, but I I did like a class online. Mm -hmm. And then during the summer, we used to go to Junction and then they went to we went to Lubbock and you could do ceramics, that glass blowing, Mm -hmm. painting, And I did one painting class and then the rest were all ceramics. And so did that. And I just loved it. I mean, it was doing artwork for me, Mm -hmm. trying to explore what I wanted to do, trying to come up with my own voice. And I think I never really had that chance to really do that. I always seemed to be working on what other people wanted me to do before. And I was able to find 
another joy in it again. I mean, I think I had it for a long time, but it just, I had a strong purpose for it. And it made me go to my studio. That was the other thing. I rented a studio, which I had to do. Otherwise I wouldn't do anything here at the house. You know, I think when you pay for something, you tend to use it more. Uh So yeah, I got that and that's where I am now. Awesome. So I think the art came first and then the teacher. Yeah. And I love that your path was a little bit windy. You were a mom and then that sort of transformed into teaching art to kids out of your kitchen. Did that start as just your own kids' friends or was it like neighborhood kids? It was more like neighborhood kids. And then yeah. a couple other moms would find out and then they'd bring them over here. And it was funny. I used to be afraid of kids. <laughs> and then once I had kids, I was like, why am I afraid of them. (laughs) I don't know why I was, but I was, but I really enjoy them. I mean, it was, it was really fun having them over here and, you know, they'd come, you know, the parents would pay like 10 bucks each or something like that. And I had all these art supplies and we just made a mess and had a good old fashioned time and they were all pre-payers. So it was, you know, they were just really cute and fun. Uh, So cute. Yeah. It's funny. I've talked to other teachers who have said kind of the same thing about, and I feel the same way too, about having my own kid that I I really shied away from elementary until becoming a mom. And now I'm just like, I love it. They're amazing. These little tiny people. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think if I ever was going to teach, I would only ever do high school. Mm-hmm. Oh, I only want to do kids that want to know and want to be there. No, I want to be with the kids that hug me every day and tell me how good, great I am. Oh, <laughs> daily yeah. information. <laughs> They're so sweet. Yeah. The kids who who paint you little pictures that say, I love art. They'll tell me, they'll go, Mrs. Brandt, you're the best art teacher I ever had. And I'm like, I'm the only art teacher you ever had, (laughs) but I'm not going to say that. Right. It's so fun. And they just, and they all want to become artists. I think one of the things that I get the most out of it is I get such a joy watching them create and just Mm -hmm. getting into it. I think that's my passion about it. It's just to see them get so involved in it, not realize they're learning stuff. They're just doing. Yeah. I wish I could create art that way Uh, without overthinking it. Yeah. And that's when they're really learning the most, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, that you know, they mix a color and think they invented the, you know. Yeah. You know, the cure to cancer or something. Yeah. (laughs) Get all excited. Look at this pink I made. Right. I had a color mixing day with, I think it was second grade, and everybody started trying to find gold. I made gold. Look, it's gold. It's even sparkly. And there, it wasn't. There's no metallic in there. (laughs) They just have this, like, vision. (laughs) They're mining for gold in the art. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I've never had them really try to mix gold. Well, they've come up with it accidentally. Well, what they think. They came up with it accidentally as opposed to um, trying to make orange or whatever. But it's so fun. And And then you look at their palette and it's like 49 pounds of paint. And there's nothing on their paper. I'm like, please put that on your paper so we can record that so we can have it. Yeah. Uh, Or just save the palette. Yeah, I should do that. But I have little rinse ones, so I can't do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Use like paper plates or something. Yeah. I bought little plastic ones that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to spend a few minutes cleaning them, but they usually just throw them in the sink and then they'll soak for a little bit and it takes two seconds. But that was the best thing for me to find because sometimes 
sometimes you get the paper plates and it doesn't sit on it right or something that right. blobs up or something. I don't know. Yeah. And then it also feels so wasteful. I do also have the little plastic ones that I like throw in a bucket until I run out of them and then I have to wash them. I do. Yeah. The little, you know, trays you put the paint in. Oh, my God. Those mm-hmm. things sit around. I found out if they dried, you could just bang them on the trash can and, and it comes out like in a cake. <laughs> to the oh. trash. It's a little bit less washing. Yeah. There you go. A little tip. Yes. Bang, <laughs> Any bang. other? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Your neighbor, the neighboring classrooms must love that. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm sure they love me anyway, but that's not... <laughs> Do you have any other tips for art teachers? I think have fun and have a big sense of humor. Yeah. Laugh a lot. Oh, my gosh. And I do. And not be afraid to say, oops, I made a mistake on that. Because the kids tend to be so, want to be so perfect, want to please you so much, or afraid of doing things wrong, that to see you do something wrong kind of helps free that a little bit. Right. Being able to admit that is one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best part of it, though, is having fun. I think if you have fun, they'll have fun. And and I don't think art should just be fun. But mm-hmm. at that age, it is fun. Yeah. Yeah. I teach pre-K and then mm-hmm. I teach kinder and we have a primer class that's kind of an in-between kindergarten and first grade. Okay. And then I teach fourth grade and then I do eighth grade ceramics. Okay. So sometimes it's really funny how much the eighth graders might be a little bit more like those pre-Kers. Oh. <laughs> But those are the ones I probably have the hardest time getting to loosen up. The eighth grade. They want it to be. That's a tough age. It is. They're pretty set in their ways. Mm -hmm. They have a good preconceived notion of what they want to make. And if they can't, it's a little bit frustrating for them. One of the first things I'll have them do, because we've had new kids come in. So about half the kids I never had before. So the first thing I do is I have them do a slump coil bowl because it's something that they can use. It's functional. Nobody goofs it up. It's pretty easy, but when you take the clay out of the bowl, you see the coils and, you know, some of the cellophane kind of folds in the outside of the bowl and they want to clean that up. They don't like that. I'm like, but that shows that you made it. Well, but it doesn't look good. I'm like, well, you can go buy a $3 bowl at Walmart if that's what you want. But this is a bowl you made and this shows you in it. Yeah. It's so hard for them to see that, to see the hand is the good thing is what you want to see. Right. Uh, It's so tough. And I so relate to them. Like I've struggled with that all of my art making career, that frustration at having a vision and not being able to realize it. Yeah. And yeah, it's tough to see kids get into that. And I try to take my own advice, but still struggle with it. But try to tell them kind of the same thing that the evidence of your making is what's so interesting about it. And the process is what's so interesting that you have to kind of let go a little bit. Yeah, I wish when I'm making art, especially when I'm painting, because that's what my undergraduate degree was in, Mm -hmm. I'll be making a painting and all through my head is, well, I can't do this because it's the same size as this over here. I get to overthinking all like that, say the rules, but all the things that I kept hearing and all those critiques. And I think that's one reason why I like doing ceramics, because I don't know what's right or wrong, especially Uh, when I first started. Yeah. It made the process much easier for me. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, I wish when I watched the 
the kids paint. I wish I could paint like that and just paint. Yeah. Just let it go instead of worrying about it. Yeah. The neat thing to me about little kids is they understand abstract art so much. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, anyone can do that. They're like, oh, that is so cool. And and they want to try that and try different things because of it. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I like the best about them. Yeah. And sometimes their color sense is just amazing. Oh, I know. Yeah, some of them have a great color sense. Yeah. Do you feel like your art making helps inform your teaching now? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it always has. I think my passion for art informs it first off. Mm-hmm. But and, and this is the one thing I liked about graduate school at Tech because we went through the creative process all the time every summer. I can see them struggling with the creative process, but know that it's the right struggle. Mm -hmm. I know what they're going through. And I think that helps me to empathize with what they're doing. And even though it's little kids, they still have a vision. And going through that, I think, helps me to see that. And also, I think just, you know, when they're working, I'll sit down and work next to them. Yeah. I love it. And how do they respond? Oh, they love it. Oh, sit next to me, you know. And yeah, I I can't only watch them for so long. And then I got to play too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh. And is there anything you kind of wish you had known when you first started teaching, especially coming at it in such a sort of roundabout way? Yeah, later in life way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think if I'd done it right out of college, I think it would have been more of a job. Mm-hmm. I think now it's just like a fun thing. Probably the hardest thing was having 20 kids in there and mm-hmm. what do I do now? <laughs> Yeah. And one of the teachers told me I would probably learn more in that couple months long term subbing than I mm-hmm. ever would have at school. And I think she was right. You know, a little bit of classroom management, mm-hmm. those things, I, I wasn't real sure. I was afraid they were going to eat me alive. You know? <laughs> and they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> they had fun. It was greatness. So, yeah. And what would you say is your kind of teaching style? I do tab. Okay, cool. I do choice based and I love yeah. it. I didn't. I started it three years ago, Mm -hmm. two or three years ago. And at first I was like, okay, I'm just going to put this stuff out and the kids are going to make stuff, Uh you know, (laughs) but I really read up on it a lot. It was while I was still in school and I I really wanted to give, give this a shot. And because when I go to my studio, no one tells me, okay, you're going to do a painting with warm and cool colors and your subject is going to be whatever, you know, I have to go and figure out what I want to do. And so I thought that that was kind of more realistic Mm -hmm. as far as studio and art making, the tab method. So I just kind of started, I read a lot up on it, started, you know, with just the drawing center and opened it up. And I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way now. I think the kids have too much direction in their lives that sometimes they need a class where they can do what they want to do. So I think they're really into that. They love coming in and, you know, I'll show them something and I try to tell them you don't have to do this, but it's kind of funny because they'll do it, you know, maybe four or five, like printing. I do with the little ones. I'll show them how to print styrofoam where you draw on it with the markers and put it on the wet paper. And they just love that. And a bunch of them will start doing it and they'll do it for like three or four classes. And maybe I showed them in December and then all of a sudden in March, um, can we do that printing thing again? Uh, Sure. You know, here it is. So it's kind of neat. They'll come back to it because they've had a lot of time to think about what they want to do and how that might be the process to do it. Yeah. 
like I see them using those things a lot, not necessarily when I teach it, but maybe later. So I really yeah. enjoy that part. Amazing. And I just like them to come in and do what they want to do. The hardest part I have is I have a couple kids that just want to come in. I have a group of primer girls that were into fashion this year, and they would just sit there and draw dresses on girls. And I'd be like, well, let's try making it out of clay. Well, let's try. <laughs> right. How about collaging that dress? How about, <laughs> yeah. you know, they wanted to all work together. I loved it that it was art. They were doing some designing and stuff, but I wanted them to take it farther. So, right. Yeah. That's tricky. Yeah. yeah. You have to kind of keep track sometimes, make sure they've each gone to a different center mm-hmm. and done their work in there. So that's a little bit harder to keep up with. But yeah. I have small classes, so I'm, I can pretty much know who keeps doing the same thing every week. Right. (laughs) About how many students do you have? In the pre-K classes, I have 12. In kindergarten, I have 16. In fourth grade, there's 16 girls in a class. And same thing with my eighth grade. We don't go over 16. I know. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. And I went from, you know, 24. Yeah. Ours, fourth and fifth are closer to 34. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you have boys in there, too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, I forgot you're at an all girls. Yeah. I just this year started my sort of version of tab, which is a little different because I only get 10 weeks with each grade level. Mm. So I'm really, really rushed trying to do some version of tab. Yeah. In that 10 weeks, how often do you have them? Once a week. So it's really like 10 lessons. My gosh, because that's a lot. It's really fast. I mean, it takes me like, golly, probably a good two months to finally get every center open, you know, maybe gone through each one twice so that they know how to do everything. Man, 10 classes. Oh, Yeah, I decided I wanted to try some version of tab and also told myself, obviously, with this time, I'm not going to be able to teach every technique I would love to be able to teach. And I decided to structure it as the first time half of that 10 weeks is what I call boot camp of just we're opening a new center every day. Yeah. <laughs> Drawing this week. Next week we're doing painting. Then we're gonna print. Then we're gonna do some sculpture. We'll do a little fibers and then you guys are set free. Use what you want. We're gonna do a day of planning and like starting. And then the next couple of days are just working with me kind of walking around checking with everybody. Mm-hmm. And then our final our tenth class is always a day to share with parents invited. Ah. Yeah, it's very quick. I would definitely change things depending what happens in the future. Yeah. The hardest part I think about it is the first time I put artwork up, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it wasn't to me as good on the whole as what my kids were making before. Yeah. But it wasn't my choice. It was their choice. It was their art. And it took me a long time to get over that. And doing things like putting up little, I'd ask the little ones, you know, now why did you pick this? And they'll say, well, I really like the purple I put over here or something like that. Yeah. And to let go is really hard, (laughs) Mm -hmm. especially when I used to put up really cute whole displays of all these cute little things they all made. And and now it was a paper with a couple scribbles on it that they wanted to put up instead of something else. Or that lack of control is really hard, I think. Yeah, I think it's one of the hardest parts. And for me, it was hard in that. I was really nervous about what other adults would say. Like, what's the school admin going to say? What What are the parents going to say? You know? Absolutely. 
did you did you have that did you get feedback from any of those people no I was pretty lucky Mm -hmm. I had talked about it with my head of lower school in one of my goals meetings you know we had talked about it the year before and I said Mm -hmm. that this is what I wanted to try and sent her a couple articles about it so she could kind of see and she goes okay and and at first I was like well I'll just do it with kindergarten she goes no do it with everybody just Uh, jump in and do it and I was like okay so she's not one to really giving me feedback, but I've heard it from other teachers who say, boy, I love all the different variety the kids have and putting up the tags with their descriptions, I think Mm -hmm. really helps. But I also put up that, you know, the girls, this is what they made. This is what they decided to make. And this is what they picked to put up. So yeah, I'm trying to show that it's in their hands, not mine. Right. Yeah. And that they planned out the whole process was in their hands. So they had an idea and saw it through to this finished product. Yeah. But realize they're also little to them. I mean, sometimes they would do three things in a class, you know, because they're pre-K. Oh, yeah, with the pre-K. Yeah, they're so little. Which to me worked better for Mm -hmm. them than bringing them in, reading a book, this is what we're going to do. And then in five minutes, they were done. Yeah. All they want to do is free draw or something where now they would just go ahead and start another artwork. I think as far as their attention span, I think it works better for them. Mm -hmm. They seem to enjoy it anyway. But again, I think they like having a choice. Yeah. And I noticed for me, I had those fears, but the first time I had parents come in for that final share and they got to talk to their kids about what they had made. And the kids had these elaborate stories about what they had done and were just so excited to share that. I think that made the parents realize, oh, yeah, they're really learning. Like they're thinking through this process and having to explain what they're doing and then having to figure out how to make what it is they want to make. Yeah. I think the other thing about it, too, that uh, surprised me was the things that they would come up with that I never would have thought of doing. Yeah, yeah. And even ideas, conceptual ideas, but also just processes like mixing different types of paint or having printmaking and then sticking it onto a sculpture. Yes. Yeah. I never would have done that. Right. (laughs) You go. Let me go write that down so I can do that later. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always been amazed at how they just go off on tangents too. I have those little sticks that have like little notches in them that you can build things with. Oh yeah. I had this girl who, I mean, she came in every day and this was a kindergartner for about a month and a half. And she made a bedroom with bunk beds and had fabric in there and all this stuff. I mean, I was like, I can't, I mean, every day she'd just come in, get it out, add more to it, you know, and then put it back. And it had this whole thing made. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was like, you know, it's kind of cool. The hardest part, I think, though, is cleaning up, too. When you have four different centers, you have to get the clay people cleaning up and the paint people cleaning up. And then, oh, you forgot the drawing people over here and they're still working Uh. water. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, especially with the little ones. Yeah. Yeah. How long is each class for you? For the little ones, it's 45 minutes. Okay. So it's still pretty quick. And then for my my fourth grade, I have them for an hour and 20 minutes. So it's like two periods, Uh but I only have them once a week. But it's good because I don't have that cleanup, get it back out again. We can just work straight through. And they have got such a good attention span. And then my eighth grade, I have them for an hour and a half every other day. They're on a block schedule. Okay. And But I only have them for like six weeks, which is horrible because, man, we have to 
slam a few things out. And, you know, working in ceramics, oh, Thanksgiving break. Okay, we have to make sure we get everything. Yeah. At least yeah. we can get everything drying before Thanksgiving break. So when we come back, we won't have something that's rock hard and not done. So, yeah. Yeah, there's oh. a lot of things working around with that. But I like doing them too, though. And I kind of do tab in a way. It's more like, let's do a birdhouse. What kind of birdhouse would you want to make? You want to bring in something about you? I mean, I we just throw a bunch of stuff out and then they just kind of come up with their own ideas about how to make their birdhouse. But they're learning how to do slabs and coils and as they're building it, which is what I want them to learn. At the end of the eighth grade, they pick what electives they want to take, what fine arts they want to take in high school. So this is like all a rotation thing so that they do dance, journalism and debate and all this other stuff, and then gives them a better idea of what they might want to take for their freshman year. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And with fourth grade, is it also full tab or is it more closer to that sort of choice within structure? Yeah, yeah. there's another art teacher in the lower school. And so we share the fourth grade. I do two of classes and she does one and we're supposed to be doing the same thing. So that's a little bit harder. It's a little bit more project based. I don't think she's quite ready to jump off the the tab cliff. (laughs) (laughs) It's scary. I mean, I think it is. Yeah. And so it's more project based, but I try to keep it as open as I can and kind of let them take off on tangents, but it's a little bit more project based. Yeah. Which is hard right now. That's what I'm, I don't know about you, but this online teaching thing. Uh, yeah. Not tab. <laughs> yeah. How have you structured, have you tried to keep doing tab with the little ones? No, I don't know how I would do it. Yeah. Same. I've gone back to the old projects I used to do and I'll, I mean, I'm putting them out there basically as optional and adjust as you would like and as needed. Here's what I'm doing. And if you don't have the supplies for this, do whatever you want to do that you have the supplies for. (laughs) Or like here's several alternatives. If you don't have paper, use a cardboard box that you have. If you don't have markers, use a pencil. (laughs) Yeah, there's that issue. And then there's the, I'm trying to keep it open-ended. I told my four, Mm -hmm. go find your own things and do a still life. Yeah. Why did you pick those things? What did, did they mean something to you? Or is it just random? I'm trying to go about yeah. it that way, but it's hard. And yeah, run around your house and find things and make art out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been really tricky. Yeah. And you can, I'm kind of wondering, I'm, I'm like, I'm glad we're almost to the end of this because I'm running out of ideas that need few materials. Yeah. That's been really hard. I thought, well, I do a lot of clay with them. And so mm-hmm. I found these two different Play-Doh recipes, yeah. but both of them had cornstarch. I didn't know people didn't have cornstarch <laughs> uh, in their in their pantries. It's like, oh well, that was a bus. But the ones that made them had fun with them. But I was like, okay, try something else. Yeah, we've had trouble finding flour in the grocery stores. I think people are baking a lot. Yeah, they are. But the Play-Doh recipes I found kept having flour or cornstarch things that I was like, well, I'm out of those and can't get them. So <laughs> I don't know. I'll put. That recipe out there, but I'll also try to come up with some other alternatives. Yeah, I ended up looking for other things, but yeah. the one I had the little ones make was corn. It was more of a, it didn't really dry. Oh, yeah. I guess right away, but you used hair conditioner in it. With oh. Corn Boy, did that smell good. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. As I'm making, I'm going, oh, this smells good. I kept saying it in the video. <laughs> this smells really good. <laughs> But uh, oh, 
it's like aromatherapy. Yeah. So the ones that told me they didn't have it, I tried to, you know, send out other recipes or some of them mm-hmm. were able to look it up themselves. So we uh, bounced through it. Yeah. It was okay. But I think one of the most fun ones is just, you know, doing the old nature walk, pick up a bunch of stuff, bring it back and make something out of it. I got a lot of really cute ones in that. Yeah. Doing like Andy Goldsworthy inspired. Yeah. Pieces. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, they're doing mo- mobiles tomorrow. My little ones are out of a oh, paper cool. plate. We'll see how that turns out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we used Play-Doh when I offered the alternative homemade Play-Doh, but said, you know, I don't have flour, but I have, I actually do have a lot of Play-Doh because I have a four-year-old. Yeah, Yeah, one of the kids used Play-Doh. Yeah, and it works if you want to make a sculpture and you want it to dry and be hard, like it'll dry out. It'll crumble. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that's one reason why kids like clay so much is that a lot of parents won't let them have Play-Doh because it gets in the carpeting and everything. So I think, you know, when you pull out clay, they are just like, (gasps) yes. And it's so tactile. Yeah. Oh, they just love yeah. it. I just, I don't blame them. Oh, before I forget, I wanted to ask, you mentioned that when you were kind of getting ready to start doing tab, you read books about it. And I wanted to ask which books you would recommend, <laughs> if you remember. Oh, the the Bibles for tab. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I brought them home from school. There's the one that I read last summer was Studio Thinking from the Start. And I liked that. But the other one I've heard about that I haven't read yet was Engaging Learners Through Art yes. Making. Yes, that's what I read. Oh, here it is. This is a good book. Once you're doing it, it's called Art Workshop for Children. Mm-hmm. This book has kind of open-ended things like, oh, just putting out a piece of canvas and letting them paint on. It or you know, putting out cardboard and like I'll set up cardboard and my girls love any beads or shiny things. Oh yeah, you know ribbons and stuff and just letting them go to town on mm-hmm. it. So it kind of gives different ideas for stuff like that. Okay, it's pretty. Op- Some are not as open ended, but I like that the possibility is there. Yeah, it's called Art Workshop for Children by Barbara R U C C I, and it says that she Reggio inspired educators. Okay, yeah. And I know that like Reggio and Montessori are kind of aligned with Tab. Like it's all similar philosophies. Yeah. yeah. Letting the kid kind of eat it more students. Right. I know that because you teach tab, this question might be trickier than some teachers that maybe are more project-based, yeah. inspired by a specific artist. But I, I wanted to put this out there. If there are any artists of color that you have shared with your students that you felt were really impactful. Yeah, usually when I'm teaching my students and I see something that they're doing that reminds me of maybe another artist or mm-hmm. a way they're working, I might say, well, look at what this artist has done. And I always try and keep my mind open and I'm always trying to find new artists and I also like to read books to the kids. If mm-hmm. I decide I'm not maybe not going to do a skill, I just want them to work on. Sometimes they need just to come in and just work, but I like to read or something. So for those, I read Faith Ringgold, Tar mm-hmm. Beach, which I know almost everybody does. But it's a great one. I know it is. And there's a lot of questions that they can ask about in there. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, 
who wrote it? The poet, um, My Painted House, My Friendly Chicken and Me, mm. about the painted houses in Africa. And it's it's written from the perspective of a kid. I don't know that one. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, it's real skinny. And I don't read every little part into it because it can be kind of long for little kids. But she talks about how her best friend's a chicken. And I ask the kids, do they have chickens as pets? And then they want to know why she doesn't have a shirt on when they find out it's a girl. And yet she wears a uniform to school. So it's kind of the, what mm-hmm. are our differences? What are our similarities? And it's on a kid's level, which I always like. And then another one I like to read is Throw Your Tooth on the Roof. Mm -hmm. And it talks about what happens in different cultures when the kid loses a tooth. Uh In America and Canada and England, the tooth fairy comes. In mostly Spanish and French-speaking countries, a rat comes and takes it. And then in some countries, they have to throw it on the roof and do a dance or something like that. You know, we talk about being in an airplane and seeing all the teeth on the roof, you know, when you're flying along. But it's kind of cool because it never gives it away. Right. But I kind of like it because it talks about different things that a kid would be used to, what you do with your tooth. And it's kind of interesting. Yeah. An artwork that I always like for discussion, and I'm never sure how to say her name, Alison Saar, S-A-A-R. Uh-huh. Yeah. She has a picture that's, it's called Mulatto in the picture, but I just say biracial girl. And she's kind of light skinned, but in the mirror, she sees a black face. Mm-hmm. And talking about finding what where's the black in me I think is kind of what it's about and that's really an interesting one for older kids to to discuss why is she seeing black in there her skin's lighter is she trying to identify one way or we can really open up some discussions about that and and I also think it's important for kids to see artists that they look like and ones they don't look like yeah so you know and I have a range of kids from everywhere so I make sure I usually have um, Hispanic or Latina artists Asian there's uh what is her name Toko Shinoda she has Japanese calligraphy that she really abstracts it and it's really cool and I just love Chinese writing and Japanese writing. And I kind of show kids a little bit about that. But to see it, this abstracted thing, it's just beautiful. I just love those. Mm -hmm. So I try and keep them at the forefront. I always make sure I have different artworks up. In teaching in an all-girls school, I try to always make sure they're mostly women. Yeah, That's an important thing for us too. So I try to make sure I stay with mostly female artists and make sure they're from everywhere. And I also do not teach a Black History Month. I believe Black history should be all the time. It should be the norm, not outside the norm. Right. Absolutely. Just like women's history should be the norm, not outside the norm. Yeah. I try and keep that, you know, I always try and do it. Yeah. I was mentioning that Tab might make this question tricky. And I love that with teaching for artistic behavior, it kind of means you get to know your students better and you get to really respond more individually by sharing, like you said, artists that are sort of relevant to what you see they're doing. Mm Mm-hmm. But then I also see it almost as like an added challenge for white teachers like us who have probably grown up and been taught a typical Western canon of art. Yes. So we really do have to reach outside and seek out artists that are outside of that typical Western canon. Yeah. And then think of them being being able to kind of pull them out on the fly 
when they're relevant to something a kid is doing. Like, I feel like that can be really tricky. Yeah. I try and like, if I ever go to strange bookstores, I look in the art Mm -hmm. section and just start pulling stuff out. Mm -hmm. If I'm bored, I'll start going, okay, artists from blah, blah, blah. And just start looking at different things, you know, and then I'll find something I really like. And, but it just kind of keeps me keeping a pulse on it. And I like art from everywhere. I mean, Picasso looked at art from everywhere and Gauguin, even the Western artists that we learned in college learned from other from people all over the world. I mean, I think that's just the way art goes. And then what I'm working on and trying to question in my own teaching is how to get better at really discussing or introducing those artists, kind of taking it a step further than being able to share them and show them, but then really like getting to know a bit more of their background. And if they're living artists, finding videos that kids can see so they actually see the artists talking and trying to go a little bit beyond. Yeah, Kimmy Cantrell, Uh he makes these large ceramic abstract faces. And I do a thing with cardboard with the kids. I think a lot of people do them. But he's got a video and there's only one little naked sculpture. So and it's my fourth (laughs) grade girls and I tell them, okay, there's going to be this in there. You girls have seen art. We just go on, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they don't see it. You know, they're like, where was it? (laughs) But I sometimes I think it makes them want to watch it more so they can see it. But anyway, (laughs) but but he talks about his inspiration and stuff. And I think that was pretty cool. I like doing that. Yeah, I feel and maybe I need to be more direct about it. Mm -hmm. But I feel the way I approach it kind of modeling, but more like oh, here's this other artist and look what they've done. And that's what I'm seeing because I don't want them, I don't want to go, well, there's this black artist. There's this artist to me. But Mm -hmm. should I say there is this black artist? And I don't know. Yeah. The one thing I saw recently in one of the like 5 million teacher Facebook groups (laughs) that I'm in, (laughs) I saw a comment from a teacher that was trying to share her experience. And she said, as a a female Mexican-American, when I was growing up, and this is not me, her words, she's like, I pictured every single person that was introduced in school, whether it was in art class, in science, an author that we were listening to, whatever, any historical figure, any person was always a white male in my head until the, the teacher explicitly said, no, this is a woman who did this, or this is a black man that did this, or whatever, like if they were very explicit, or if they showed a photo or a video of the person and you could see, oh, it's not a white man. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's true. And she said, I never saw myself represented unless the teacher was really explicit, even if it actually was, like even if the author was a Mexican-American female, just like this little girl, she didn't Mm -hmm. see it as that unless the teacher really pointed it out. So that made me pause. Yeah. Like that made me say, oh, well, yeah, I really do have to be even more explicit about it. Yeah. And in her world, that's probably what everything seemed to be mm-hmm. was yeah. from a white person's, a white male standpoint. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And the times when you might hear a female name, I mean, it's not always obvious, first of like all. Chris. <laughs> right. And then when it is, you st- she still would picture it as a white female. Yeah. So she's still not seeing herself. 
I really try and get a picture of the artist, yeah, their face with it. I don't know why. Maybe that's what I'm doing subconsciously or I don't know. Somehow I think seeing the face of the person that does it connects me more for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I think so too. I've always tried to do that as well. There is more of a connection when you can see the person. Yeah, I think so too. And I try not to get into race relations with little ones. I don't know. I don't know if I should or not. That That's the other thing. Are they too young? We've done a lot of work on that, and I think it's going to be even more so. And it's really sad for me when I hear some teachers kind of say, well, why do I have to do that or really dig their heels in? Because yeah. it's it's important. It's very important to me mm-hmm. that we are open and that we do celebrate and that we do have respect and and embrace other people, you know, different or not. I don't know. Learn more about each other. Be with each other. Yeah. The more that I'm reading and digging into this, it's like layers of an onion, just realizing how much being white is a norm and how that's the centered yeah. thing in our society. I've been reading uh, white, white Fragility. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've read that. And I've always believed that about Black History Month. I'm always like, why is it just one month? I've always thought that. Yeah. And then that's the book where they pointed out where it's like out of the norm. And I went, that's why I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then I went, thank you for saying what I've been thinking. Yeah. So it's an interesting book. Yeah, it's on my list. I'm going through a couple right now and... Uh, I'm not a very quick reader anyway, but then when I'm trying to really digest stuff that's trickier, (laughs) it takes me so long. The old reading fiction versus nonfiction. Oh, yeah. You have to go back and reread a few times. and, And, you know, sometimes they say things that it's hard as a white person to hear, Mm -hmm. but yet if you hear it and look at it, it makes you look at yourself a little bit deeper. Yeah, I'm thinking of it in a similar way to like critiques in art, where the goal is to improve my work or improve here, it would be like improve myself. And just trying to not take it super personally, that if someone's saying, as a white person, you are inherently racist, that's hard to hear. Oh, very hard because you're going, no, I'm not. I'm a good person. Right. You know? I'm good. I'm one of the good <laughs> ones. But separating yourself personally from the system that you were born into and then saying, well, okay, yes. Now what can I do about that? Yeah. How can I change that? And when it's interesting, they talked about how in a world run by white men, women had to get the vote from the white man. <laughs> mm-hmm. The white man had to say, okay, you can vote. Right. It wasn't the woman's choice. It was the man's choice. And the same thing with blacks getting the vote. Mm-hmm. The white man had to say, okay. I mean, just the strangest thing that it's all of that power was in one place. Yeah. And it still is. It's yeah. just really strange. I mean, I just, <sighs> you know, I never looked at it that way. And it just makes you look at it differently. Yeah. It gives you a different perspective. It's hard to read. I mean, it was hard to buy it. I'm like, I really want to read this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have access to things that other people would not have had access to. Mm -hmm. It's hard to look at and it's hard to acknowledge, but it's true. Yeah. And so the other question I had written down was, how do you work to create an anti-racist environment in your teaching in your classroom? Or how do you plan to change your curricula? Are there any things you want to do to address racism? Yeah, it's going to be more changing Mm -hmm. than what I've done. Yeah. 
And I think being more explicit in when I talk about things, I think I need to try and do that a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, that's hard. It is. Especially when you don't even know what you're going to be looking like next year. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we were talking about a little bit earlier, teachers are being thrown so much right now. You and many art teachers shifting to working from a cart, not having the materials that you're used to, doing some kind of hybrid version of some online and some in person and... Uh, what's the story? Not still yeah. not knowing exactly what it's going to be. It's like so 2020. You know? uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like everything is like up in the air. Yeah. But I think I'm going to look at that a little bit more. I'm going to do a little bit more research. I'm doing a couple conferences and I think I'm going to bring that up a little bit more. Yeah. Especially with my age groups. My eighth graders, I feel like, you know, that's a really prime group for discussion that, you know, mm-hmm. they have ideas we can really talk more about it with my little ones, which is where I struggle more with that. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I let them lead and question and then I take it where it goes. Yeah. But then they ask questions like, well, why is their skin different? Oh, great. You know, (laughs) I I gotta get, you know, scientific. Well, you get questions you're not quite prepared to answer. Uh, Yeah. That's one. I feel like I don't have good advice because I'm also still trying to figure out how to even do that with my own kid who just turned five. It's, the age I teach. Yeah, like that age is, I keep seeing things that it's definitely, you should be talking about it with that age. They are not too young, but how specifically to do that is a tricky one. Like I'm not sure. And I know there was, I started pulling together a ton of resources and I know there's some in there that might be helpful. So I have to dig through that again and find, maybe share some of the better ones for little, little kids. There's a list of books that are good for kids, whether it's talking about different races or at least books where the, and we've been really explicit about it this last year at Hockaday and getting books that represent different races, points of view. Mm-hmm. It's not always a little white kid, right? you know, to get things that have kids from different backgrounds that are in the book, that it's written from their point of view, not just there's books where it could be a kid of any color. And then there are books where it has to be a black kid or it has to be an Asian kid or something like that. And we were dividing what books we were reading and how they fit into that to make sure we were getting a big, diverse cross-section. But there's several lists of books out that are good for kids. Yeah. You want to diversify your home library. Yeah. And then here's one that I haven't read yet, again, on my list. (laughs) Raising White Kids is another book that is more geared towards parents. But that one might be helpful in just how to talk to white kids about race. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, anything that parents would read, you can always adapt to the classroom, I think, usually. Yeah. That's good. We'll get that one. Yeah, there's so many. I think now the challenge is kind of sifting through and deciding which ones are going to be most useful for you in whatever situation for each person. It has to be natural for you, though, too. Mm -hmm. It has to work in with the way you teach. Yeah, one thing that I did here, and there's an organization called Adding Voices that just held an online conference sharing tons of resources and 
information and ideas. Just so many great presenters about these issues in art education. Mm -hmm. And one of the presenters mentioned this idea that us as white educators, one thing that we can do as we're kind of going through this journey and struggling to figure out how to talk about these issues with our students is to just be open about that with them and like share our journey with them, sort of model for them in that way. That And that's not perfect. Right. Like pause while you're teaching and be like, hmm, I'm I I'm struggling. Like, I don't know how to talk about this, but it's important. So I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> Well, and it's important for them to see that you're not just one way forever, that you can grow and stretch yeah. and learn, and you're not just that way and that's it. You can look at things and go, well, I never thought about that. How would that look this way or that way? That's, I think that's good. I think it's, it's a more natural way for me, mm-hmm. at least, to do it, something like that. Yeah, because I know I always goof up. <laughs> yeah, add this to it. Like, I'm not, I, here's something I'm thinking about, and I'm still figuring it out, not sure sure I'll ever figure it out, but let's talk. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And do you, in thinking about how to address this with students, is one of the concerns parent pushback or do you feel like parents and your admin would have your back? Oh, admin would have my back. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. We have a diversity board, an inclusion and diversity. And I've worked on that committee for several years. Mm -hmm. Having a special needs kid has always kind of been important to me for kids to be accepting of others. Yeah. You know, and that was my step into it. Mm-hmm. And then I see it happening with other people. And I think that's why it's a passion for me and why I've developed that over time. And it doesn't just stop at her. Yeah. Anybody that they see is different. Yeah, absolutely. That's a real important thing to us whenever we associate with other people or anything. Diversity is very important to me because I like getting different perspectives and I think it's good for the kids. Yeah. So what artists do you like? What artists do you think have been in? I'm going to turn the tables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. One that I love, and I think I would maybe talk even more about him and his background, but uh, Leonardo Drew is a sculptor who makes these giant, most of them are giant, some are smaller, but giant sculptures that are similar to assemblage where it's like he's gluing tons of tiny pieces together to make this big thing. And I've used it to do, we end up doing like cardboard sculptures with lots of pieces glued together. Oh, that sounds fun. The thing that I'm noticing in my teaching any artist really is that I don't spend very much time talking about the artist and who they are and their story. Me neither. That I focus a lot on the aesthetics. And sometimes there's the content of their artwork is really important to that work. And then we'll spend a little more time talking about it. Another one is Fiorele Baez, who has these self-portraits that are just showing the eyes. So everything else is kind of this beautiful, to me, it looks like watercolor, but I don't think that's what she's using. Mm, yeah. But it has that kind of translucent to it. Yeah. And like colors really blending together Ooh. beautifully. Ooh, that sounds pretty. And she's done a bunch of other there that's like one series but I liked that because it felt accessible for kids so we've used that those to do self-portraits 
And she does have a lot of sort of meaning behind those that I didn't talk a lot about with kids. I just was like, you know, what do you think she means with only seeing the eyes there? Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I would definitely add more, especially in a tab classroom. It's like, oh, look what this artist Mm -hmm. did. Can you see how that it's more the work and not the who did it or Mm -hmm. about who did it? I do the same thing because I'm not here for I'm not reading a book for 20 minutes about them. I'm showing them while they're working. Right. And it's, yeah, how do I bring that in more? Huh? Yeah, it's, I feel like it's a tricky balance. And then also having time, like I've leaned towards more studio time, which means there's less time to really like dig into who these artists are and have discussions about what's behind the work. What do they mean when they make this thing? Maybe I like getting them in a circle when we're done, you know, every once in a while. Yeah. I'll say, bring your work into a circle and let's talk about it. And maybe I should just be more aware of when I've had an artist of a different background that maybe I could, when they bring that, I can say, well, we looked at this and this artist and maybe give a little bit more to the whole class mm-hmm. and tie it into the kid's work during their reflection time. Yeah. But then I'm dominating the reflection time. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, it is. It is really tricky. Those are good questions, though, I think. Real important. Yeah. And I feel like I usually don't, again, don't have time to really dig into it. But usually if I'm introducing a project that's inspired by just one artist as which I didn't really like I changed my structure when I shifted to tab. But when I was more project based, I would show them maybe one or two images of the artwork and then show a video of the artist talking about themselves and their work mm-hmm. and then spend just a couple minutes, stop the video when it was done and say, so what stood out to you? Like just super open-ended questions or what did you see? What did you notice in the video? Yeah. But then I just, I, I mean, I feel like we could just talk for 10, 15, 20 minutes about the artwork, the artist, who they are, what they're trying to say, all of these things. But that's, I don't have time for 15 or 20 minutes. No. And and the kids after a while are like, well, can we work now? <laughs> In terms of space, do you have your own studio space at home now? Or were you still renting a studio? And then where is your teaching space? My teaching space right now is my dining room table. Yeah. So I'm sitting here at my dining room table. I have a rigid heddle loom that is attached to my table. And I just finished yeah. a weaving. That's what I was doing. I think I'm a maker. I've become to that where I just like to make stuff. Yeah. But anyway, I have that there and I just finished some making some towels. And then I've got four stacks of books. I finally brought some of the cups I've made and I put pencils yeah. in them and sat them out here and yarn and all that stuff. My studio studio is in the same town that I live in. It's this little old building that used to be a church. Mm. And it's got like probably 10 studios with a long main open area. So the lady who runs it has art lessons there, especially during the summer. So to knock a little bit off my rent, I'll usually do two weeks of classes. Oh, nice. You know, along with her to kind of help cut my rent a little bit. Yeah. It's very, very little. I have one of my kilns there so I can fire there. 
and I paint there. I I didn't go during April. I was just, uh, when we started teaching online, I was slammed that first two or three weeks. I was like, what am I doing? And yeah, I think the technology was just killing me. I was, uh, I was a little bit overwhelmed. And do you feel like you kind of have a handle on it now? Yeah, much better. Oh yeah. And now I'm more mm-hmm. in a rhythm and I'm more prepared and yeah. I had a few more lists that, yeah, I think I'm going to start going back, back in this week. I tried bringing some of the stuff home. I just don't like, I like doing clay, but doing it at home is a little bit more difficult for me, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, with the dust and everything. Yeah, that's true. And the space. Yeah. Yeah. So weaving was something I could do. I didn't have to worry about it drying out or wrapping it up. Right. You know, I could leave it on the loom and then come back and work on it some more. So that kind of kept me making something besides samples. Yeah. <laughs> which I don't normally make yeah. too many of. But. And what technologies, like what sort of resources have you been using that you've now kind of wrapped your head around? One of the um, things is on Facebook. There's an... Are teachers teaching dis- teaching remotely or mm-hmm. distance teaching or whatever? Yeah. And they have a lot of files. I didn't know Facebook had this, but on the oh, Facebook yeah. page, there's files. And people put like a bunch of different things out there. And that really helped a lot. Just kind of gave me some start into where I'm going. Some are, like you said, ones I used to do, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've pulled them back out and used them. Mostly those, yeah. I would think. You know, you want to do some tried and true because you don't want to just throw out things that flop. But right. We did flip books with fourth grade. So that was kind of fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you have to give the kids feedback? Only a few because only one of my teachers has added me into her seesaw. I don't know if you guys use that. Yeah. Yeah. So in there, I'm getting to give feedback. Yeah. It's been very strange to get no feedback. Even seeing their work, Mm -hmm. you're not there during all the processes of it, all the steps of it. So yeah, you don't know if they got the idea or if they are going on a wrong, I don't want to say a wrong because I don't think that's right. Yeah. But sometimes they need help developing it or just working together on it or, you know, going around and saying, boy, have you thought about X, Y, or Z? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, kind of giving them a push or whatever or, or to finish it more. That's probably the, the big thing. I, you know, I'll get something that's just a couple of lines and I'm like, oh, well, what can I do? You know, yeah. I don't know what their situation is. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, looks good. <laughs> right. Whereas normally if they had been in class, you're still giving them feedback continually. And I feel like I can't do that. Right. This isn't why I went into teaching art. Yeah. This is a, you know, a very different way of teaching. Very removed. Yeah. 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 I like talking with the kids and hearing their ideas and even just getting, okay, I want to do this. Here's my three different ideas. Which one do I pick mm-hmm. as a way to take it? You know, I can't do that with them. Can you do any check-ins like video check-ins or even small group video lessons? I do with fourth grade. Okay. The little ones, they do a morning meeting every day and Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I'm in on those sometimes. I'm ADD and it's like really hard to get through (laughs) because they're bouncing everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) But that's about as much as they can do for the day, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as online stuff and they really don't want them to have that much screen time so I think you know they're thinking things that we put on there is enough 
fourth grade, I do morning meetings with, and then once a week, and I've only done two of them, they can optionally come in at one o'clock and Mm -hmm. a different specialist teacher is there. And so they came in and we did a thing where I told them, draw three circles on the paper, draw four lines, you know, color in so many, whatever. And then we all saw how different they were. And then the last time we did it, a kid had to draw a picture but not show it and then had to, by describing, tell the other kids how to draw it without telling them what they were drawing, Uh, which was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's more listening and following directions, but it's not directed drawing. Right. It was more because it was funny. You know, you'd end up with what was supposed to be a teddy bear and it looks like an alien or something, (laughs) you know. Yeah. the kids just thought it was. And they love doing it. They want to do it again next time. Uh, so we yeah. probably will. Yeah. But it's more for the connection, I think. I mm-hmm. think they need that more than somebody lecturing them. They were talking a little bit while they were working and stuff, uh, which I always let them do. I'm a, I am let them talk when they work, unless it gets out of hand. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. I think they, and a lot of times they're talking about art stuff. Right. You know, so they're talking out their, what they want to do or the process they're doing. And, and I think learning from each other. And I think it's, that's an important part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've talked a lot about teaching. I want to get some time to hear more about your art making. Okay. Yeah. Could you kind of describe your work? Mostly, I have been doing some painting and drawing. I just always do that. Mm -hmm. But as far as ceramics go, which seems to be the biggest thing I probably do, I like sculpting and I like doing animals. So I've done things like taken Aesop's fables and made those. Mm. Like I have one where I did the mule or a donkey and it has a lion skin over them. And it's where the the donkey, what's the Aesop's moral? Like an ass is found out once his laugh comes out or does some foolery or something like that. So even though he was dressed like a lion, he gave himself away by his actions. Mm -hmm. Or I did one of a huge mouse and he's real fat and he got into the basket and ate all the corn and now he can't get out. So I Uh. took some, I had some thick reeds and I put them around like he was stuck getting out of the basket. So I kind of like doing that. I also like doing figurative stuff. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of that in the past. That's probably my favorite to do animals and people. I threw when I would go out to Lubbock for class, which I was never very good at. I got better. I'm not great, Mm -hmm. but I'm passable. (laughs) I like altering it. I think that's probably more what I like to do once I make you know, if I do throw something, I like going back in and I guess getting my hand into it, you know, and yeah. doing something weird to it, huh. different firing techniques I like. So Ooh. I enjoy the most. And I started taking, of all fun things, a jewelry class, Ooh. metalsmithing. Yeah. Yes. That's been really fun too. And you can wear it. Yeah. Have you been able to keep up with that during all this? Not right now, because I was taking it at like a little community place in Dallas, this craft guild, Mm -hmm. and I was going one night a week and they had to stop with the, um, the COVID thing. So I haven't been able to go, but I've developed this habit. Now I'm on Instagram and there are all these people that get big blocks of stones and then I don't know how they get them into the stones, the little couple carrot shape. And they're like $17. I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. I'll buy that one and that one. And and my husband's like, okay, we have like 40 little stones around here. Uh, What are we going to do with them? Yeah. (laughs) I got to wait for my class to get back. (laughs) But it's really, it's been fun. I really like it. I think I may get a few more torches and things. And I've done it with my eighth grade. Ooh. Yeah. 
not super big with the torch or anything. Yeah. A friend of mine, he, this guy teaches a jewelry class at a high school north of Dallas. And so he comes in and he's already has the rings made. They're just round circles of silver. Mm-hmm. But he shows them how they're bent and he has a torch and shows them how you solder. Talks about all the science about what the metal is going through. Yeah. And then they all get to file different patterns. So they will sit there, you know, <laughs> you know this little bitty ring just oh. with a little bitty file and just for an hour and a half loving doing oh. that. And then they can wear it. I would really like my school to start a jewelry program. I think it'd be really good for the girls to do metals. Yeah. I think it would, it would hit them right where a girl is as far as the jewelry part goes. But they like using tools and things like that and fire and saws and stuff. And I think that they would just really love that. So I would like to do more. And that's why I started taking this class so I could know more than the kids know. Right. <laughs> Barely. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's such a fun, I did like a, I took an online metal smithing class several years ago and I got myself all the tools and my mom actually faceted stones when I was a toddler and gave me oh. her faceter. So I have all this equipment, but I haven't done it in a really long time. Well, don't go on Instagram because you'll yeah. get it. <laughs> I'll get back into it. Like um, I need this Rocks Anonymous class. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing though. It's, it's, it's. It is really kind of exciting to use those tools and use fire and, you know, be banging on metal and sawing metal and then have this beautiful thing that you can wear. Yeah. Well, that first day, you know, you're trying to do the torch Mm -hmm. and then it pops and you're like, (laughs) and you're afraid you're going to blow the place up. And, And after a while, you know, I've taken two classes and I just love it. And they're really good about, okay, here's what you're going to make. And the first couple of things we all kind of had to make together. But after that, I've been able to go, well, I want to try and do this. And I've been Uh, able to to try a few more things. So, you know, that I want to do. Right. But still within the parameters of what I'm able to do. Right. But, you know, what I know how to do. But it's been fun. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Do you see it connecting at all to ceramics at some point? Like, would there be mixed materials pieces coming out of you in the future? I've done wire sculptures and I can Uh see moving a little bit with that and kind of incorporating wire with clay. I've thought a lot about that. I did things for a while. I learned how to do embroidery when I was at Tech. And so I started doing that on the surface of a lot of pots I made. I'd make holes and sew in it. Oh, it was Ah. so hard to get your hand in there. Sometimes I'm like, what was I thinking? (laughs) But it was fun because I kind of could do a different surface with that. Yeah. You know, after it was fired. That sounds amazing. It was fun, except it was hard to, <laughs> to make sure I could get my hand in there. I almost got stuck a few times. Uh, or the hole would get clogged up and I go, oh, way to go, you know, and uh, I couldn't get the thing through there. But it was kind of fun, you know, to make it look like it was sewed up or yeah. I'd make a hand coming out of it to look like the hand was sewing itself in. Uh, I'd love to see some of those. I need to put more of those online. Yeah. Uh, Getting ready for this, I went, I've got to update my website because <laughs> especially the last couple of months, you know, everything's been kind of wacky. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things I'm going to be working on is getting my website back up to date. So, yes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> There's always good reasons doing things like this is going to make me do that. Yes. So. 
That's a good thing. Everything's online now. I know. Getting everything online. Do you want to or do you already show your work anywhere or want to sell it or any of that? Yeah, I'd love to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still kind of trying to develop my what I want to do. It's mm-hmm. like when you're first out of college, when, you know, you graduate with your BFA or whatever, and you're like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. I kind of have a little bit more direction, but I'm still like, okay, I'm really trying to figure out what I want to do now. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a little bit of that, but I've, I've had my work accepted to a couple different shows around here and there. I've tried to apply to them. Yeah. And are those like local shows? Or- yeah. Yes. Or you find them online? Yeah. Yes, I do that cafe. Oh, yeah. And I only do ones where I can take it there. I don't feel comfortable mailing Mm -hmm. ceramic things. Yeah. So I want it to be something local. But but there's been some that have been pretty good. Like there's a state of Texas one that I had stuff in. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the University of Dallas every other year has a big local, more like Texas, Oklahoma, a few other states. And I had something in that one. So I've I've gotten it out, you know, a few times times. Yeah, nice. And and gotten a lot of no's. Yeah. But everybody <laughs> does. You just have to keep putting it out there. Yeah, the first time was a little scary. I was like, what if they don't like it? Mm-hmm. I got a no and I went, well, I'm still alive. Yeah, like nothing happened. It's yeah. all okay. Yeah. So it's and it keeps me doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'll have one of my goals will usually be to apply, not to get into, but to apply to three shows during the school year. Uh-huh. I figure that because you have to make new stuff that usually can't be old. It keeps me, especially before I started graduate school, it keeps me making my work. Yeah. Or it gives me a purpose. Not that I really need one, but it gives me a purpose. Yeah. I love that. Just having that goal, like you have to apply to this number of shows, Mm -hmm. because if you don't apply, you can't get any yeses. You've got to put it out there. And and even if I get a no, the fact that I made artwork is Mm -hmm. really the goal. Yeah. But yeah. Bonus to get it somewhere. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But having those deadlines to kind of push you forward definitely helps. That's definitely true. I think deadlines, (laughs) you end up doing a lot more than you think you will. Right. (laughs) I'm impressed that you kind of started out painting and drawing and now have shifted to 3D. Is that something I haven't been able to wrap my head around? Yeah, it's I, I never did it in college. I didn't. I thought sculpture was. Ugh. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. And and I think because I had painting teachers who thought that, right? Uh, but yeah. One of the things I love to work in is crayon. I've done more uh, tons of big things in the past out of crayon. Yeah. I also went through a phase when I was sticking crayons into a hot glue gun. Ooh. They were naked. They didn't have the paper on them, and then it would spurt all over my canvas, and then I'd go back and paint into them. So I was getting all kinds of weird things with that. I mean, I love using different materials, especially in the different way. So it's kind of like a weird encaustic, you know, kind of thing I was doing. Right. But I love using kid stuff. I never thought of Play-Doh. That is fun. Yeah, it was my daughter got me back into I kind of took a little break from art making after having her and Mm. playing with Play-Doh with her got me back into it. So. Oh yeah. And the smell of it. Oh yeah. And just like how it, that tactile, like how it feels mushing it in your hand. (laughs) It's great. Do you have one of those little like garlic presses? She does. So I have now I have that I've been doing these kind of paintings. I have a couple boxes of Play-Doh colors that are mine that are kind of hidden away from her. Like (laughs) crayons. Those crayons are mine. Yeah. These are mamas. 
And I have my own kind of tools and I don't really use the little garlic press thing, but she has one that she loves. She makes French fries. (laughs) Kids are enamored. Even my eighth graders, I have an itty bitty little extruder. It's kind of funny. It's really small. You have to make a little coil to put it in there and it's like a syringe, you Uh, know, that you press it. Yeah. They will sit there and just sit there and just go through pounds of clay, just (laughs) pushing it through (laughs) Oh. It must be something therapeutic, I think. Yeah. They're funny, though. They love it. One nice thing about having a studio is I can go there and leave the mess. Right. That makes a big difference in terms of time, like not having to clean up all the time. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's kind of funny is sometimes I'll go there and, and there have been times when that was the only thing I did was clean up. It was like I'd finished three or four things. And then I would take a whole day just getting everything out, sweeping uh-huh. or mopping, whatever, and then putting everything back in. Yeah. And I'm not a big housekeeper type person, but it's like I need that day to kind of get all that out of me, get it all set up. And now I can come back in and work again. No, that makes sense. Yeah, there's something therapeutic about that. Yeah. Kind of helping your mindset or something. I don't know. Right. And then also thinking. Yeah, like thinking while you clean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also being able to come back into a space that's ready, like you're ready for making now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, then, you know, an hour later, it looks like I didn't do a thing too. <laughs> oh. Where is that tool? I can't find that. Where did I put that? Oh. All the time. Yeah. Oh. It's so nice to have it to go to, though. It's, I tried at one time to have it in, in our den, I kind of set up a corner that was my studio. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, well, if I have a studio, I won't have to clean the house as much. You know, I got to work in my studio instead of cleaning. And so I started and I was doing it okay, but then I would find other things I would need to do and I wouldn't do it. And once I got this studio and started paying rent, I'll go Saturday morning from like 8.30 till about 1.30 and mm-hmm. I'll go every Tuesday after school nice. and through dinner. So my husband, we have a special needs daughter and my husband will uh-huh. make get her dinner every Tuesday and I go to my studio on Tuesday night yeah. until about 8.30 or 9. So that gives me two days a week that I have to work in there and more if I need. It seems to work out well. During the summer I go, I usually go every morning, you know, for a couple mm-hmm. hours until about one or every other morning. Yeah, that's great. During break and stuff. Yeah, it's good. It's little. It's beady. <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense to have that schedule. That sounds like it helps a lot. It does. Otherwise, I wouldn't go. So I know mm-hmm. and he knows I won't be here and that he has to get dinner for her. And yeah, it helps to have that routine and it helps that it's close. Like I've been looking at other studios that are a little bit bigger, but they're farther away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do I want to drive? on a Saturday morning all the way over there. Right. But so close. I just hope she makes it through this shelter in place because she makes most of her money during the summer. Mm-hmm. And if she can't have her camps, I don't know what's going to happen. So Yeah, that's so tricky. Uh, no, it kind of worries me. So many people have been hit by all this stuff. Right. Uh, yeah, it's so tough. Uh. I was going to ask you if you ever experience creative block. And if you do, how do you kind of get past that? Hmm. There have been times like I will go to my studio and just don't know what I want to do. And I'll just sit there. And sometimes I just start drawing. 
sometimes I know what we do. You know those jelly plates? Yeah, those are great. Oh, I know. The girl that owns the studio and I will we'll about two or three times a year, we'll just get them out. We'll get out all kinds of paper. She's We have this big box of texture things. Mm-hmm. We'll get out all plants and everything and just spend the night, usually with a beverage or two, yeah. and just print and just have stacks of stuff when we're done, mm-hmm. look up different things, do different things. And then I have a lot of fun drawing back into them. Mm-hmm adding white paint and using ink and drawing back into them. So that to me kind of loosens me up a lot. Yeah. From getting real worried or real tight. And I think that really helps a lot. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a good way, I think, for me to get out of a block. Yeah. And then does that also, like, is that how you would get out of a block if you wanted to get back into a sculpture you were working on? You would go start with drawing or painting? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Sometimes it's in my head and I don't draw it. Sometimes I do draw it, but sometimes it's just that getting away Mm -hmm. and loosening up, but in the process lead for a while. Yeah. And then coming back to something I think helps too. Plus it's fun. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love those things. They're awesome. Yeah. Have you had much time to do studio time during this yourself? Once you had her and were teaching? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a little harder. Yeah. My studio time has been about what it was when I was teaching in the schools. Like I would basically do a little bit after bedtime almost every night. Okay. Yeah. An hour or two after bedtime. And now I'm actually doing a little, I'm staying up later because we're getting up later. So I guess I have a little more, maybe more studio time. Yeah. That's good. It's a hard thing. It's a hard balance. Yeah. You know, if he goes out of town and I have to take Holly to her soccer or whatever, you know, it's because she doesn't drive. So it's, you know, there's always, there can be so many other things that come up, but you know, you do the best you can. Yeah. And you have to kind of work everything around the other parts of life. Yeah. And and I hate for it to be the low man on the totem pole, mm-hmm. so to speak, you know, the least priority. But, you know, you got to put your kids first. I mean, no, you, you don't need to eat tonight. <laughs> I need to go to the studio. Right. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. No. And it's, it, I hate it that sometimes it's that way, but it just is life, I guess. Yeah. And how was it when you, you have other kids as well? Yeah, I have three. Okay. How was it when they were all young? Were you still making art or was it just like the chaos of, <laughs> of having three kids running around? Yeah, pretty much the chaos yeah. of having three kids running around. I would try to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're a stay-at-home mom, mom Everyone thinks that you're now an automatic volunteer for everything. Mm-hmm. So I'd end up doing way too much of that mm-hmm. and then go, why am I home yelling at my kids for running around while I'm trying to talk on the phone? Oh. That's not why I stayed home. Yeah. To put what's on the phone first. So I think once I balanced that out, you know, and started saying no to some things, that's when I started doing more artwork again mm-hmm. and then started teaching out of my house uh, just a little bit. I mean, it wasn't like a full time thing or anything. Yeah. Teaching them, I didn't know I'd like doing it. And once I knew how darn funny they were, then it was just a lot more fun. Yeah. But my kids always, my son one time had to make something that looked old, you know, and I went, oh, here, let's get out the tea bags and everything. He goes, boy, having an art teacher for a mom is the best. Oh, <laughs> I love it. 
Uh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that, that like saying no to things and then opening yourself up to having like teaching kids being like, I'm not sure I'll like this, but let's give it a try. That that kind of led you to something you really love. Yeah, it was such a roundabout way and a later in life thing. Like uh-huh. I said, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. I think if I had majored in art ed as an undergrad and gone right into a job like that, I think having desk jobs made me really appreciate teaching, you know, mm-hmm. when you're ADD and you have kids for 45 minutes and they're doing one thing and then they're gone, <laughs> the next group comes in and they do something different. It's like right up my alley. Oh, you know? It works. <laughs> it does. Oh. I can go from pre-K to eighth grade, but not a problem. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Talking about tap, one yeah. of the other things I think that I love is I always used to get out the paint, you know, and have everything in there. And then when the kids would come out, we distribute it. And when the kids want to paint, I have, if they're doing temper, I have the temper, like two or three trays out of temper paint. I have buckets next to the sinks. You know, here's the brushes. Here's the watercolors. I have a little visual list of what they need, you know, with a little drawing of a paper with their name on it and paper towel and everything. And they have to go get their own stuff. I have five-year-olds going over, pouring their own bucket of water, getting their own paint, looking up at the thing going, oh, I need a paper towel and doing it. And I'm not doing it. And that to me was really liberating, but also, I don't know, it's just really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing to see that. Yeah, whereas before I did it all for them. I mean, I didn't clean up too much for them. I tried not to. I mean, they have to clean up their own stuff. But just the fact that they can get it out. I mean, at first I went, what am I thinking? (laughs) They are going to make a mess. And I mean, they spill as much as they did before. (laughs) Yeah, and it's incredible to see that ownership too. And like yeah. empowerment, you're empowering them saying, you're an artist, You here are the supplies, like get what you need. When you're done, put mm-hmm. it back. Yeah. I mean, they, they, and they're they so good about knowing where stuff is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny when you have a sub like that, you know, I'm like, well, you know, this is what they're going to do. Yeah. They can come in. They know where everything is. They know how to get it out. Let them come in and start working, you know, put their portfolios out so they can get out whatever they need out of there. If they're still working on something and let them go. And they're like, what? And I went, yeah. And they're going to get their own paint. What? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, they'll tell me they really did that. And when I know yeah. it's. I mean, it takes a while. I mean, that's the one thing about, like you said, doing it in 10 ways. Because, I mean, that take, I mean, it takes me a good couple times to remind them, you know, don't put the dirty brush back over there, put it in the sink, you know, (laughs) or whatever. And it takes me a a good several classes of reinforcing that, especially in the painting and the clay. Those two are probably the hardest. But once they get it, they've got it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's so amazing. I really like that. I do like a real small bit for them. I mean, I'm like, when I open it up, here's, you know, and I only show them like three or four things at a time in there. And then I'll come back around. Once I got them all open, then I come around and do them again and then show them different things at this one, different things at that one, add things. Yeah. My youngest students are where I kind of struggle and especially trying to do tab. So you said you kind of very briefly will show them a couple of things and then you go around as they're Mm -hmm. working and you show just whoever's working there, something else at that center. I start out like in the drawing center. Well, first I haven't made their portfolio. So I consider that opening the drawing center because that's the first thing I need. So they get a portfolio and I show them everything in the drawing center, but they sit everywhere that first day with markers so they can do their portfolio. 
So I've shown them everything that is though in the drawing center. Then I usually show them mm-hmm. the collage center next. And, you know, I'll show them, here's where I have the paper scraps. Here's where the glue is. Here's how you use the glue. You know, here's yeah. how you use scissors. And I cut out the shapes and I arrange them about 10 times yeah. before I glue it down, <laughs> which they never do. <laughs> Even though I show them. And then I usually leave it for those two for about two or three classes. And they just work between those two. Yeah. Then I'll open up the sculpture center, but not with clay or model magic, just with the sticks, with those little building sticks with, I'll have some of that clay that's kind of oil-based that they can play with. Like modeling clay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pipe cleaners and wire. So then I have three centers open. Then I'll do painting. And I usually start out with the little ones with watercolor. So I'll just show them how to use the watercolor to keep the brush real wet. And just, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about lines then. And then I show them how to get everything. And then and then I let that work for a while. And then I'll come back in and read mm-hmm. mouse paint to them. And then they'll look at mixing paint. You know, when I open up that painting center, it's like 12 little girls want to be there. And then once I put clay out, 12 yeah. little girls want to be there. So... Don't worry, it'll be out for a long time. Uh, Yeah. You're firing a lot too when you're letting them have clay mm -hmm. for, you know, a month. And I just got a new kiln at school and it's big, so it holds a lot. But oh my God, they make a lot. One of the first things I show them, because I want them to know how Mm -hmm. to make a ball and flatten it, you know, and then I show them, I call them knee bowls where they put the flat clay over their knee. Oh, yeah. Bowl shape. And so that they can glaze. So I'll show them about glaze and then I'll fire that one a second time. But everything else gets mm-hmm. cold finish on it. I just can't fire it again. I don't have the time in my life to. Yeah, it's too much. Oh. It's hard enough when you have all those little clay things. I'm like, what class? Who made this? I can't read my own handwriting yeah. at the bottom. Oh. <laughs> but they just love it. It's, uh. But anyway, so that's how I do it. I, okay. I, it. I open them up one at a time, you know, one a, one a class. And then I give them a couple classes to work with both and then open up another one. Yeah. Oh, I also have cut up cardboard in the sculpture center. Yeah. You know, I, I try to keep, I don't know, just a big variety there. And I'll put model magic in for usually about three weeks at a time and then take it out and then put the clay mm-hmm. in. And then, you know, I might show them two or three, you know, one thing one day. This is what you can make, you know, and I'll go, I'll make a pinch pot or something. Half of them will make it, half of them won't. Yeah. They have something in mind they want to make. Right. And that's okay. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. But, you know, they might use the pinch pot for something else later on. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they're just trying it. Yeah. Oh, I also have a bead center. This was Ooh. in the sculpture center. I put out beads with a cut elastic cord enough where they can make a bracelet. Yeah. But they can only make one a day and they can only have 10 beads. Uh-huh. <sighs> Otherwise, they'd be gone. But it's so, so good for their fine motor skills, but especially for pre-K and kinder because, you know, little attention spans, they can go over there, they'll make one of those and they can wear those home. Yeah. And then go work on something else, you know, or finish something early and be able to go make that. But it's so good for that fine motor skill that I'm really glad I put that out. They will make them ad nauseum. Yeah. Threading those beads. They just love doing that. Yeah. Spend a lot of time tying them, but that's... Oh, yeah. That's tricky. Yeah, but they love it. And I've got some really weird beads and they can only have one of those. And, Uh, you know, they'll make different patterns. And like you said, their color sense sometimes, they'll all be like in different shades of red or something. mm -hmm. It's kind of fun. Yeah. But that's that I keep 
in there. I try to keep enough variety in there so there's not just one thing right. that they can do at that center, you know, or they can try a couple different things. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I'm pretty lucky because in Texas, we have a tab group. Mm-hmm. And last summer, they have what they call a Texas Tab Lab. Oh, cool. And we all met together. And there's only like 70 of us in the state of Texas, or at least that went to this. Yeah. And spent like two days just talking about it uh, and learning about the different things different people do and stuff. And that really helped me a lot. And it also let me know that I had the right idea because, I mean, I just read the books and tried it. You know, right. I hadn't even, you know, I didn't even go look at anybody else doing mm-hmm. it. So I wasn't sure I was on the right path, but I seemed to be. Yeah. No, it sounds like what you're doing is amazing and totally aligned with tab philosophy. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Yeah. I, at first, I was like, why would anyone do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now I really like And I think it's much more logical. I mean, instead of going, here's this artist, now do a work like him. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see someone doing something. I said, well, there's this artist named, I don't know, Helen Frankenthaler. And, and look, she kind of did what you did, too. Yeah. And they were and it's a better connection, I think, yeah. for them. I started noticing that too. I had a group of fourth graders making these kind of abstract paintings using a lot of tape to block things off. And they were all just kind of excited about using tape. But <laughs> I saw like a visual connection to a couple of sort of hardline abstractionist painters that I was like, okay, I'm going to show them this work. And just see, you know, see what they say about it. I think it's kind of cool. I think you make a better connection with the kids and you're talking more with them. Yeah. And then they maybe remember that artist more than they would just, you know, some artist that you've chosen because of, you know, you have this project idea for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like what I'm doing now. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Hey, you know, you have to do what you can do. Yeah, they're at least still getting some art and hopefully having time and the ability to create something and maybe even just de-stressing a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know what they're going through at their homes or how much they're worried. You know, I think the kids carry the worry. We have a few that they're like, you know, mom said she gets online and just flips out because she thinks it's so much and so overwhelming, you know, and they don't see it in one clump, you know, when they're at school. And she's worried about next year because they go to fifth grade and middle school and, you know, she's stressing out. And yeah. like, I don't blame her. You know, there's a lot going on right now that probably worries them and <laughs> do the best you can, I think. Yeah, I've been trying to focus on creating projects that use materials they hopefully have, but also thinking about projects that are going to be really fun and kind of silly or really like calming. Mm, Yeah. I had my fourth graders, I kind of talked a little bit about surreal art and then I had them draw a jar and then put something inside Mm -hmm. a jar you wouldn't normally find. Oh my God. Some of those were hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) And some, like a couple of them had like a house. (laughs) She had this house inside the jar and she had little people in there and you had to kind of follow their conversation. But it was like, I'm going to go upstairs. Those kids are are being really loud up there. Well, honey, be careful. I'm going, what was going on at their house? And then another one was chasing a rat in the attic. (laughs) You get this little glimpse into what's happening and I was like you know and here's this house in this jar and I went boy you know that's kind of like what we're going through right now you know (laughs) yeah 
But it was kind of a funny, funny one. You know, sometimes you get more than you care to know about their own life, I think, you know, in our job. But, yeah. But I like, you know, and I tried to tell them I was questioning, like one of them had a fox and I go, that fox looks like he's trying to get out. I said, it makes me wonder what will he do? And I'm trying to tell the kids that that's good, that they made art that made me mm-hmm. think more. Yeah question about it. So it was a fun project. Like I said, don't do that many projects like that. So it's kind of been in a way kind of fun to do it for a change. Yeah, it's interesting to see what they do with those with those type of projects too. Now that they've in the classroom, they had more freedom and now seeing what they're doing with this with a limited uh, thing. But then you get to see maybe I don't know if they would would it be different if they didn't have that background? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how you could test. (laughs) I don't know. I think they'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Either we're way. All, I think they'll be fine. We're all kind of getting through it. And yeah. <sighs> it's just bizarre. Strange times. I know. I'm thinking about, I wonder if I can do a painting of a jar with a mm. house in it. I started thinking of that. And, and, you know, with all those different things going on and, you know, that's kind of how I feel like I'm stuck in this jar and I can't get out. Yeah. That imagery. Yeah. Ooh. I didn't think about it when I signed it, but when I saw the house, I was like, ooh, yeah. that's kind of, I don't know, kind of makes me feel like what we're going through, I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting to see that coming from a kid and wondering if they sort of made that connection. Yeah, although I wrote that down on the seesaw thing. I said, boy, that's kind of what it feels like right now, doesn't it? So I don't know if they did before yeah. or whatever, but, you know. I'm pretty honest with them, though. You know, that that's what that makes me feel like. I think that's good. They need honesty. Yeah. And fourth grade girls are a little bit can be more mature than boys that age. Mm-hmm. So when you have a group of them, they're pretty savvy, yeah. you know, of stuff. I have some that are just I mean, sometimes the things that they say and you're just like, whoa, mm-hmm. they're pretty smart, too. Yeah. So uh, got a little bunch of little smarties. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it makes it fun. Keep you on your toes. It really does. But they're so fun. Yeah. I miss yeah. them. I know. That's that's a big one. I feel like it's so different not seeing the kids, not getting to be yeah. with them. I'll get on sometimes, you know, and there'll be some and they'll do something. And I mean, I'm just like, I want to start crying. Uh, you know, I'm like, golly, I haven't seen these little faces. Yeah. And, Mrs. Brian, I miss you. You uh, know? And, yeah. The little seesaw things I get, you know, I'm just listening to their voice going. Oh, They're so sweet. I miss that little voice. Oh. Yeah. I hope we don't have to do this for very long. Yeah. Oh. So I have just a few kind of like get to know you questions. Okay. What are you, is there anything you're kind of curious about right now? I mean, there's the curious of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. There's the curious of, I'm really, I love learning about the metals. Yeah. And I can't wait to see where that takes me, although I'm on hold with that right. but i'm really curious to see what else i could do with that mm-hmm. lots of stones mainly probably those things now all my stones that my husband's going what are you gonna do with these <laughs> but they're so pretty <laughs> so i think that's probably yeah those two things are probably my big right now yeah and then what is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant or what is your favorite food? I haven't found one I don't like much. Well, down here we like Tex Mex. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so probably guacamole. Yeah. <laughs> I love a good tableside made guacamole. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. It is. With fajitas too, probably, mm-hmm. but that's probably my favorite. Nice. Yeah. We were talking in one of those morning meetings. What do you miss the most? And two of us said, going to a restaurant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
going to my neighborhood Mexican restaurant and and having guacamole and everything, you know, being in the smell and everything. Yeah. Uh, And is there anybody that you would want to thank or give like a shout out to? Hmm. Boy, there's a lot, but for different reasons. You know what I mean? A little here, a little there. Mm -hmm. Probably one of my students I had Mm -hmm. when I taught at the charter school. She was unbelievable. When I, I got her when she was in second grade and she would just draw on the corner of her paper, this perfect little drawing, which she erased 94,000 times and, you know, wasn't getting anywhere with. And so her poor class, anytime they came after that, they never got pencils. They could only use crayons and Sharpies, but she's unbelievable. I mean, her talent. I had some that were very, very creative. She was very, very good at rendering and mm-hmm. just just a really, really very good at drawing. And she uh, she was applying for a, when she was a little bit older, applying for the, what do you call art magnet school. Oh, yeah. And I was kind of, you know, helping her. She was coming in and talking to me. I didn't have her as a student at that time, but I had her put up into the high school art teacher's class as opposed to the middle school art teacher's class. Because, I mean, she, she could just draw circles around almost any high school kid. Wow. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. So she looked at me and she goes, well, how come you never apply to anything? Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, before I always thought the world would come to an end, you know, if I didn't get into something Mm -hmm. or if I even tried to stick my nose out or my neck out. And so I think what she did without her maybe knowing it is kind of pushed me into doing more of what I needed to do, Mm -hmm. more of my own art more of not necessarily to apply to things, but just to to do more of my own art and get myself out there more and not be so afraid of it. Uh, that's amazing. No. She kind of gave you that little kick in the butt. And now she's at medical school. Oh, wow. She's also very smart. <laughs> yeah, when she was in an anatomy class and she was drawing, this was as an undergrad, she was drawing the bones or whatever it was they were dissecting. And somebody happened to see her and she ended up working part time at some place with an archaeologist and he was digging up bones and she was drawing the bones and making them into the animal they were and then went with them to present it at some prestigious conference in Canada and stuff. I mean, it was pretty cool. It was, yeah. Amazing. I've heard that a lot of times doctors have a artistic side. So mm-hmm. I think whatever she does, she'll be good at it. She's really, she's pretty smart. But I'd always thought that was so cool that she used her art that way too. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And it makes you think of all the different applications for the arts. Oh, yeah, definitely. And final thing, where can listeners connect with you online? I know you're working on your website. Do you want to share it? Sure, it is. ChrisBrantArtwork.com. Cool. And I'm also on Instagram as ChrisBrant1212. 1212. Awesome. Great. So I will link to those too. Okay. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been awesome getting to hear about your path and getting lots of good tips from you. Well, I've enjoyed listening to the ones you've had on there. It's been kind of fun. That last one you had also taught at a private school too. So that was kind of, that was kind of neat. Yeah. I have a few more that I haven't released yet, 
And yeah, it's it's a variety of different grade levels and kind of where they're teaching. I'm trying to get that variety out there. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, you have that, you know, you have a wide audience, but it's nice. I think as teachers and as artists, we can relate to each other, but it's also mm-hmm. kind of cool when someone's in the same, you know, has a position that you can relate a little bit more to, Right. you know, is even, that even relates it better to what you're doing. You know, you have a better connection. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.